postpartum body odor. It is a totally natural phenomenon because your body chemistry changes after giving birth. And so sometimes that means that what worked before is no longer effective. But I am excited to say that now there is a solution for that stubborn odor. The Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is a completely natural deodorant made by a postpartum mom who went through it herself. And it works by eliminating and preventing bacterial body odor without covering up your skin's comforting smell to your baby while giving you 12 hours of odor control. And let me tell you, it actually works. Here at the house, we've all been trying it and loving it. Now, before you think, ew, you're sharing a deodorant with your husband and daughter, let me explain that this full-body deodorant comes in a convenient pump applicator that lets you apply it anywhere on your body with no bacteria traveling on the deodorant, so no ew involved. We also love that the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant has a delightful natural scent of USDA certified organic extracts that smell like a pink sugar cookie with lemon frosting. I thought this would be a little strange, but it's actually amazing. Also, the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is free from artificial fragrances and any kind of senoestrogens or herbs that can interfere with breastfeeding. Find your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant at postpartumdeodorant.com. That's postpartumdeodorant.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off through the month of May. Get your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant now at postpartumdeodorant.com and start smelling more like yourself again. Pregnancy and postpartum are some of the most nutritionally demanding times of your life, which makes sense because you're basically acting as your baby's pantry while pregnant or nursing. That's why the quality of your prenatal supplements is so vitally important. Hands down, the one I recommend is needed. So I'm thrilled to say that if you use the code BIRTHFUL at thisisneeded.com, you can get 20% off your first month of needed products. Needed is the number one nutrition brand recommended and used by me and over 4,000 practitioners from nutritionists to midwives, functional medicine doctors, and OBGYNs. Needed is for anyone trying to conceive, pregnant, postpartum, and really, this is goodness you can use even before and beyond the perinatal years. Along with prenatals, Needed offers premium supplements for every stage, from egg quality support to a lactation support plan, a stress and sleep support plan, and a gut health plan. In fact, I've had clients rave about Needed's pre and probiotic formula, saying how much better it made them feel compared to their usual probiotics. And to me, Needed's hydration support packets, which only have ingredients you can pronounce, are a must in any doula or hospital bag. Also, Needed's prenatal multi is available in capsules and easy-to-take vanilla powder for those with nausea or pill fatigue. Head over to thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. That's thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products.
Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today's birth and breastfeeding story is with Mandy Alexander. Mandy got pregnant at 40, having had a bariatric surgery seven years before that. During her pregnancy, she worked through her fear of childbirth and ended up with the unmedicated and collaborative birth experience she was looking for. However, breastfeeding was a whole other beast. Mandy was prepared for many difficulties, but not for the possibility that her body may just not make milk. Stay tuned. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros and new parents to inform your intuition. Hello, mighty parents and parents-to-be. Thank you so very much for all the love you give the show. And if what you hear is helpful, you know what to do. Make sure you subscribe. It is free, and that way you are not going to miss a thing. All right, so my guest today is Mandy Alexander. And during the episode, I mentioned that I would ask Lily Nichols, uh, about the recommendations for the glucose tolerance test for people who have had a bariatric surgery. And that is because when Mandy was looking into whether to take that test or not, she couldn't really find good research based on that. So, you know, when there's anything nutrition related, I reach out to Lily Nichols. And um, I did, I did reach out to her and get an answer. And the answer I got from Lily was that Mandy should have been given an alternative. Um, Lily also gave me a link to a bunch of research on the glucose tolerant test during pregnancy related to bariatric surgery. And I have included that link in the show notes. So you can look it up there if you're curious. All right, let's get to it. Welcome, Mandy. I am so happy to have you here on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Yeah. And why don't, before we get into the ins and outs of your story, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, I live and work in Indianapolis. Uh, I've been married to my husband for about a year and a half, and we have a nine-month-old right now. Um, and I work as a sign language interpreter here in Indianapolis area. Yay. And you have yeah. uh, your child, you have a little boy, little girl? A little girl. Her name is Hazel. Hazel. Yes. Um, and so it was a funny story. Indianapolis, I lived there for about three and a half years oh, when okay. I was I a kid. That. Yeah, because that's where I, um, my dad was doing an MBA. We, the whole family moved. That's where I learned English in Indiana. Oh, mm -hmm. wonderful. So Very cool. <laughs> I have, I've got great memories from there. Um, well, the next time you're in town, let me know. Will do. <laughs> so... Tell us a little bit about yourself. And I know when you wrote to me, um, you described your pregnancy as bariatric geriatric. Correct. <laughs> what did you mean by that? Well, yeah, and it was, um, I don't know, it just had such a nice ring to it. I really wanted to get a shirt made, but I never got around to it. So I, um, you know, as I look back on how I got here, and I've, I listened to your podcast so many times, um, a little bit of my backstory is that and I spent a lot of my 20s um, unhealthy, overweight, uh, always struggled with my weight as an adult mostly. Um, by the time I was in my early 30s, I thought, you know, if I ever am going to want to get married and have an, a family of my own, I need to do something about this weight and get it off. So when I was about 34, I had bariatric surgery. I had the Ruin Y, which means that they uh, cut the stomach to make it a smaller size, about the size of an egg. And then they bypass part of your intestines. So your intestines is where everything gets absorbed. So you're absorbing less calories and you're taking in less calories. And uh, from that, I lost over 100 pounds. The following year, I had skin removal surgery too. So I had um, 
uh, when you're overweight, as when you are pregnant, your abs separate. Is that diastasis recti? Am I saying that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had a little bit of that. So they like sewed my abs back up and they cut me all the way around my hips and removed the excess skin. So I thought that was going to be the magic pill. Once I had that surgery and looked good, I would find my Mr. Right, but it didn't quite happen that quickly. I needed to do a little bit more work on myself and, uh, you know, kept at it and met my husband when I was about uh, 38. So we, I got married at 40 and we were fortunate enough to get pregnant like the month after we got married. So that's how I ended up with a geriatric bariatric pregnancy. Yeah. Um, And so you were pregnant at 40. What, Mm -hmm. tell me what your wishes were for your pregnancy. And also because of this label that you were put Mm -hmm. under of advanced maternal age, right? Mm -hmm. That's that geriatric part of it. Right, right, right. Um, what did that mean in terms of your care specifically? And were there any overlaps with the bariatric part of it? So I always knew that I could have children. Once you have bariatric surgery, it doesn't mean that you can't have children. I knew that I could, but there might need to be some adjustments to be made. And what I found is that there are no clear answers, at least in my experience, I would be interested to hear, you know, some other people's experience, but, um, I, I went to um, my first doctor's appointment and also a side note was once I, I got pregnant, because I was an older mom, I, 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 was, I kind of lived my life as though this might never happen. So I had no idea about anything related to childbirth. I didn't have, I, I didn't think about it. I didn't want to hear really friends talking about it that much. I would kind of check out if it became a topic because it was kind of painful and I didn't know that it would happen for me. So when I first got pregnant, I wanted to have a cesarean. I was like, sign me up for the C-section because I've had surgery before. I know what to expect and I know I can get through that. But I had friends that had had um, unmedicated births and I knew that there was probably something to that. And there was probably a reason why they wanted that. At the same time, I, while I would, had recovered from past surgeries, I didn't have to take care of a newborn while I was doing it. So I knew I was going to try to get myself to where I wanted to have an unmedicated birth. Um, so we went to my first appointment and they, the, the nurse practitioner just scared me. Basically, she went through all the risk factors because of my age Uh, My husband and I had just got back from our honeymoon in Mexico, so she was scaring me with tales about the Zika virus um, and didn't really offer any kind of, I don't know, any kind of support or any options. She was just like, well, we're going to need to watch you for this and this and this and this and and like proceeded to have this laundry list of things that could go wrong. Um, And when I asked how I could mentally prepare myself to have an unmedicated birth or how can I mentally prepare myself for like the pain of child birth and delivery, she kind of chuckled at me. So we left that appointment and I contacted a friend of mine and she said, you know, try to find a midwife, look for a midwife. I said, you know, I'm not really ready to, I don't want to have like a birth center birth. I'm not ready to give up the idea of an epidural at this point. She said, that's fine. You can still find midwives that will deliver in hospitals. So And I think that's a great point to make because Mm -hmm. a lot of people think that midwives are only for unmedicated births. And if they're practicing at a hospital, they you've got like the only things that midwives can't do 
are the surgical stuff. So that means cesarean, vacuum, or forceps. Right. Everything right. else is on the table if they're in the hospital. Yeah, which I didn't realize. Yeah. So, yeah. So I switched I switched practices. I, I found a midwife who worked with um, a couple of OBs. And when I, I asked her the question of how to mentally prepare myself, she mentioned hypnobabies, which I had never heard of before. You know, and everything I hadn't heard of before. I, I was completely clueless going into all of this. So, um, But it seems you were going into it with a curious mind. You're like, well, let me see. <laughs> right. What's out there? I have no idea. So I was just glad that she gave me an option. Um, and so as far as the the geriatric side of the pregnancy, there wasn't, you know, she, the way she approached it, she, she said, you know, everybody wants a healthy baby. You know, it's up to you if you want to get a test or not. It's, a, it's not going to really, if it's not going to change anything for you, then don't do it. And so we, in the, we, in the end, we decided not to get any kind of genetic testing done beforehand. Um, just knowing that this was a possibility, but we would deal with it when we dealt with it and we didn't want to add any stress to the pregnancy. As far as the bariatric side of things, it, I had a really hard time getting clear answers from the first doctor I went to, from my dietitians through uh, where I had my bariatric surgery, to the midwife and the OB I ended up with. Um, I the main the couple of the main issues that would come up would be the vitamins, what types of vitamins I should be taking, and then the glucose test was a it's a very hot topic in the bariatric pregnancy community. Mm. Um, Why is that? Far, so that's because when you have, um, when you have your intestines bypassed, if you take in a lot of sugar, you can have what's called, it's referred to as dumping syndrome. And it just means that when that sugar hits this area of your intestines, where it gets bypassed, you get sick. You have diarrhea, shakes, you know, just nausea, uh, nausea like it's a very bad sickness. So a lot of people don't want to take this the the diabetic the um, diabetes test the glucose test. Yeah, for gestational diabetes for to test right. for gestational diabetes or to uh, as a as a marker for gestational mm -hmm. diabetes. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Yeah. So um, and I I looked around online and there's a lot of people that say, well, my surgeon says I should not have that test and I shouldn't take it. Instead, we will do they'll check for an A1C. So I asked my doctors, and I was dreading this test because I was afraid of getting sick. So I asked the midwife about it, and she said, well, we really need to do that test because we need the numbers, the data from that test will help us to make decisions when you are in labor. So we need that test to be done. So um, I try, you know, I looked at evidence-based birth. By this time, I was listening to your podcast and starting to get some more resources and information I, list, I looked at evidence-based birth and there was really not a whole lot on bariatric pregnancies um, with that test. So I just went ahead and did it. I didn't feel like putting up the fight with my, I didn't, and I didn't have any, any uh, evidence to go back to her with to say, you know, this test shouldn't be given to me. I went ahead and did it. It was pretty rough, um, but I didn't end up getting sick. I was able to make it through. And I didn't have gestational diabetes. I, you know, and that's the other thing too, is like, I don't even know if I would be able to eat enough sugar to, to have issues. You know what I mean? Like with my diet, I, I physically, when, when they said, we want you to follow the gestational diabetes diet, when I looked at it, it's more carbs than I already am eating. Well, so, I don't know if, if you listened to the episode with, um, 
Lily, Lily Nichols that I did on gestational diabetes, but I really appreciate her approach and her book, uh, Good Food, Real Food for Gestational Diabetes, because she she used to do policy in California around nutrition. Um, and she's like, why are all my, why are all the patients that I see, quote unquote, failing the this diet, the gestational diabetes diet, meaning they're on the diet and they're not improving because it's not about that. Like, yeah, as you said, that diet has a lot of carbs in it. Um, you have to figure out what your sugar level, your own individual sugar levels are doing. And she's also a big proponent of the A1C test. I will link that episode in the show notes, but I want, I'm going to ask her a little bit more about doing, We maybe we'll see what happens if we ask her about research for the for a bariatric population in terms of what her knowledge is. Hey, let's take a quick break um, and we'll be right back just to hear more about what where you were with your pregnancy and your tests and your vitamins. We'll be right back. And we are back talking to Mandy Alexander. And so you took the test and you said it was rough. It didn't make you super sick, but did it make you a little sick? Like what was the experience? Yeah, I... I... I was laying, I had to lay down. I was on the floor in a waiting room. Uh, sweet. And, and, you know, I had to do the, the three-part test. Mm. Like, I, I guess I failed the first one. Um, and I forget that it was like, I, I forget the amount of It's the one hour cards. and, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. I don't, I don't have it so fresh in my mind either. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, you take yeah. the first initial one, and then if you fail that one, then the other one. That one's more like to assess risk as a marker, and then the other one is a deeper diagnosis. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I had started to take uh, some of the hypno babies. I, I signed up for hypno babies. So I had downloaded some tracks and I thought, well, you know, if I can't make it through this test, how am I going to make it through labor and delivery? So I looked at it as an opportunity to practice. <laughs> so I brought my headphones and I listened to my hypno babies tracks and I laid there and I tried to just, you know, get in my zone and it was it was rough I just had to like I had to lay down and as soon as it was over I had to go get something to eat but I I managed I didn't get physically ill though Mm -hmm. and then in terms of the in terms of the vitamins what did you find out so I you know I got mixed messages as to what I should be taking my vitamin regimen before pregnancy was to take two Flintstones multivitamins that's what I would have every day and but I had heard that too much vitamin a can be toxic to a fetus so I asked, you know, my doctor, I said, well, are you going to want to check my vitamin levels throughout my pregnancy? How many vitamins should I be on? And he just said, oh, just continue to take the two Flintstones, but add a folic acid. And so that's what I did. You know, I, it was, it seemed kind of like, just try this. You know, it wasn't like, well, some research has shown that this is best. It was just kind of like, it seemed like a, you know, just best guess. So that's what I ended up doing. And I guess it worked. <laughs> I had a healthy baby, but you know, they're just everywhere I went, there wasn't a very definitive, uh, uniform answer. Specifically for bariatric or in general? For bariatric. Yeah. 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 Just a lot of kind of guesswork. Yeah. And I, again, I refer back to Lily just because she, if somebody has any idea, she would. So I'm going to mm-hmm. ask her about this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I will definitely be curious to see what she has to say. So then as your pregnancy progressed and you got past the, these two questions of vitamins and glucose tests, um, how did things continue? So I, um, 
I worked to kind of overcome the fear, right? The fear of the unknown. I think that was the biggest thing that was holding me up uh, of why I wanted to initially have a cesarean and but then kind of changed my mind. So the, I, I didn't do a ton of reading. I did read Ina May's Guide to Childbirth, but mostly I listened to your podcast. I do a lot of driving for my job. So I'm in the car a lot, listened to a lot of birth stories. I watched a lot of uh, YouTube videos of home births. Um, and, you know, to kind of erase what TV and movies have put into my head, those images, erase those and replace them with real world images that are much less scary. So I think that's what really helped me. My husband and I watched The Business of Being Born as well. And I think that helped get him on board as well, uh, even though he was already very supportive. Uh, but I, you know, just the more exposure I had to positive birth stories, even those that, you know, understanding what can go wrong and what can happen, but exposing myself to positive birth stories and learning more about it, learning what my body would do and what how your body works made it less scary and made me ready to have to have the goal of having a non-medicated birth um yeah <laughs> yeah so then let's move to day of or around the time right how did yeah. this e how did it all begin well i was just going to add real quick that it, you know i got ready to have this non-medicated birth and then my baby was breech Ah, yes. So she was, <laughs> just real briefly, I just wanted to mention that she was a breach. We had a cesarean scheduled, um, but I took the approach of trying all the things. I said, I said I'm going to do everything that I can possibly do to turn this baby around so that I, if I do have to have surgery, at least I know I tried. So I did chiropractor, acupuncture, moxibustion, hypnosis. My doula came over and did uh, stretches with me. I tried for a um, version done in the hospital by my OB. I did all of the things and eventually, and I said, I'm an old mom, right? So like the day before a doctor's appointment, I went to a New Kids on the Block concert and the next day she had turned. So I like to give credit to the New Kids on the Block. <laughs> That's just me. <laughs> I love that story. When in doubt, New Kids on the Block. <laughs> they will turn your baby. They will. <laughs> oh, so, well, I'm um, glad she turned, yeah. Yeah, I'm so relieved. So, relieved. you know, after I'd done all that work, I really wanted to have this uh, vaginal birth. And so day of, uh, I went to my 39-week appointment and my blood pressure was high. It was the first time it had been high. Uh, and I was two centimeters. And I was, even though I had been working with a midwife, I was kind of bouncing back and forth between midwife and OB. And the midwife was out that week. So I was with the OB. Uh, and he said, well, I think we should induce, you know, you're due in a few days let's just, let's just go ahead and do this. So I said, all right. And I, I went on to work that day. Um, they called me later and told me to go to the hospital at four. So that was kind of nice because my, you know, my husband and I had planned for like driving to the hospital while I'm in labor. And what if my water broke? And what if I was vomiting? And so we had a nice drive to the hospital. Um, but he wanted to induce with Pitocin and I had, I had, based on advice from one of your podcasts, I'd gotten a doula. She was actually my hypno baby's teacher. Uh, and so she was like, let's try to do everything we can to avoid Pitocin. You know, like, let's try to see if he'll do anything. Maybe he'll sweep your membranes. Maybe he'll do, you know, we'll, we'll try to do anything but Pitocin. So when we got there, uh, he was pretty set on a slow drip of Pitocin. 
And I don't know what changed his mind, but he, he came back in the room. He said, you know what? I don't normally do this, but let's try Cervidil. And we'll, we'll put that in tonight. We'll see where you are in the morning. And I was very grateful. I was like, thank you, thank you. Thanks for like letting us at least try this. So he put it in at 7 p.m. And by eight o'clock, I was in full-blown labor. Like we had, um, we had gotten something to, he put it in, we got something to eat. I was planning on like going to sleep. My doula went home. No, she got home and she turned around and she came back because um, my labor had, had started. Um, and I was, I was surprised at how cold I was and in, in all the movies and everything I'd saw, seen, you know, women are always sweating in, in labor and in childbirth. And I was freezing. I did not anticipate that. Um, they're shaking and so cold. Um, now, let me ask, because usually I see a lot of the shaking and the shaking is, is a, 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 just a common thing of birth and it's hormones working well and, and releasing cortisol stress and, and like there is a protective mechanism to it. But, but usually, yeah, like you say, people aren't cold. They're just shaking. So mm -hmm. you were both. I was, yeah, I was cold. I needed yeah. blankets and yeah, I was asking for blankets. I was freezing. I wasn't expecting that. Next time I'll pack a hoodie, but I wasn't expecting to be cold. So, um, but my, the doula came back and we, um, you know, things progressed well. I, I was very fortunate and very blessed to get most everything on my, my birth preferences list. You know, we had um, hourly fetal monitoring. I was able to get up, move around, um, sit in the shower. Um, let's see. So everything kind of started at eight o'clock at night, uh, at 12 AM, they checked me again. And I didn't, I initially, I didn't want to know my numbers because I knew I would get either frustrated with the lack of progress, you know? So I, I kind of didn't want to know, but of course, when you're in the moment, you have to know. <laughs> so at midnight, I was three centimeters and 80% of face. And I was like, okay, well, that's all right. You know, I can keep going. At 12.30 in the morning, my water broke and I just, you know, they talk about women going into labor land. And after listening to your podcast, I was like, yes, that's what I want. I want to go to labor land. I want to see what that's like. Well, I came out of it when my water broke. That was the only time my husband said it was the only time I came out of it. And I was there with him because I just got so excited. It was such a neat feeling. And I was so grateful that I got to experience it because I know that so many women, either they don't feel it or it doesn't happen naturally, or, you know, it, or, you know, there's a variety of, of scenarios that could happen, but I was just so grateful that I got to feel that naturally happening. Was it a big pop and, and gush yeah. or? Yeah. Okay. Mm. yeah, it was just, yeah, it was, it was just the neatest feeling. And I, I was smiling and I just got so excited. I was like, wow, that was so neat. Oh my gosh. And then the next contraction came and I was back in labor land. I was like, don't mm -hmm. talk to me and don't look at me. <laughs> But, um, things continued. I, I walked, I sat on, you know, exercise balls. Um, and I was using the hypno babies throughout the whole time doing very well, saying things like peace and open and imagining my body opening. Um, then around five o'clock, we kind of turn a corner. So it's now it's like five in the morning. I've been laboring pretty much all night. They check me and I was only five centimeters. And this is where I started to lose focus because I was ending my, I was getting ready to be done. I was like, I'm okay. I'm tired and I want to be done. Uh, we went into the shower for a little bit and my doula looked at me and she said, Mandy, we have to get out because it's slowing things down. So you have to get out. Oh, I was so angry. I gave her the death stare. Like, 
I'm really enjoying this. I'm getting a break, but okay. Uh, and then there did come a time where I quote unquote asked for the epidural without saying it. I looked at my doula and my husband and I said, help me. I said, help me, help me. I can't do this. Help me. And that was me basically saying, let me have an epidural. <laughs> and they looked at me and they said, Mandy, breathe, breathe. You can do this. Take deep, three deep breaths. And I knew that that was them saying, no, you're not getting the epidural. <laughs> and I knew it and I didn't put up a fight. You know, I just accepted it. It's like, yeah, that's why I paid her to come here. And that's what I paid her to do was to come here and tell me no when I was wanting it. Um, and within, which would have been, it was fine anyway, because it was too late. But of course, you know, you don't know that at the time. Uh, so about a half an hour after that, I believe she was born, I, there was a contraction where I, it was like she went from my uterus to my vagina and she was right there. Um, and I just started screaming. I was like, it's coming, it's coming. We didn't know if she was a boy or a girl at the time. And I had, fortunately, I had interpreted three births. So I kind of had an idea of what to expect of when, you know, when the doctor comes in, it's go time. So I knew that uh, my husband wasn't prepared for that, of that switch that happens in the room where everybody runs in and equipment is brought in and lights get turned on and, you know, get ready for the show. So he was kind of taken aback by that. But I knew as soon as I saw that doctor come in, I was like, oh, this is it. And um, I pushed for about 15 minutes. I did not want to push on my back, but they kind of made me get on my back. Um, and my doula didn't them on it and I of course I didn't have the power to fight they just they wanted to check me and they needed me on my back to check me and then that's kind of where I stayed so I was a little bit disappointed with that but I did direct the pushing um my husband recorded the like last five minutes of the birth and they're telling me push 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 and I said no like I don't feel the urge I kept hearing your voice saying like when you can't but push that's when you, you know, when you have to push, you're pushing. And I didn't feel the urge. So I told them to stop telling me what to do. And <laughs> so I was able to kind of take control, which I'm glad I was able to do that. Even though I was on my back, it was still mother directed pushing. Uh, and she was born at 726 um, in the morning. So it, it went from basically like eight o'clock at night to 730 in the morning. Which is not, you know, that's not a lot of time considering it was you weren't in labor when you got there and you just got the cervidil at seven. Um, and this I see with inductions happening often that it, there's this idea that, okay, contraction started and we're moving, but you're actually just starting labor. And those first few, like just getting that cervix to start dilating takes effort. So even moving from the two centimeters that you were there earlier to that three centimeters, like that is progress, even though it sounds like I've already been doing this for an hour and you're not doing it at the same intensity. Like once, <laughs> and that's where those disappointing vaginal birth, uh, vaginal checks come in because you think you should be further along. But if there's one thing that I would like people to sort of internalize is that early labor usually takes a lot longer than active labor and to get the cervix to start dilating takes longer or can take longer right so it's not unusual to 
have to spend a lot more time to get to five. But once you get to five, things tend to go a lot quicker. Yeah, that that's what I learned. And I wasn't, I don't, I don't think I realized that at the time. But yeah, that was definitely once, because once I was at five, that was around 5 a.m. And she was born two and a half hours later. Right. So yeah, that last, those from five to 10 went very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's excellent. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's take another quick break, but definitely I want to hear more. Uh, I have more questions. We'll be right back. Tell me if this sounds familiar. You've taken gorgeous photos of your baby or your kids, and then when you want to share them, it is a pain either trying to find the photos or figuring out the group text that they should go to, and then also remembering that, say, Aunt Helen only does email, so you need to send her image separately. Or like in my case, where my husband is a photographer who takes magnificent photos that I rarely actually get to see because they live on his phone or end up scattered in text messages that I can't easily find. Enter the Family Album app, which was created to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with your loved ones. Basically, it's a personal space for your family's memories without third-party ads or unwanted eyes and with a bunch of fabulous features. It automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and easily see how your child has grown. And you can also order eight photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. The Family Album app also has unlimited storage. Plus, it's totally free. Yup, no more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by third-party ads. So, to all the parents out there still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, level up your family photo game for free and securely with the Family Album photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, all in one word, and download the app to start creating your shared photo legacy. Diaper rash. It can be a truly uncomfortable experience for a baby. And so I find that one of the biggest conundrums when diapering is figuring out what diaper cream to use. So many options are thick and goopy, making them hard to apply and hard to wipe off. But I can personally say that this is not the case for Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant that is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, designed as a breathable formula to help maintain an optimal skin barrier while allowing the healing to occur. This butt balm was developed by a mom who is also a doctor, hence the name Dr. Mom Butt Balm, when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash and she wasn't about to settle. So she created Dr. Mom Butt Balm to go on smooth and be easy to remove while also being gentle on your baby's delicate skin. With Dr. Mom Butt Balm, you can say goodbye to excessive wiping to clean your little one's already chafed skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is so soft and goes on so smooth that you'll only need a small amount instead of having to layer on a thick goop. Plus, it has a lovely minty scent. Learn more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at drmombuttbalm.com. That's drmombuttbalm.com. Or look for it at Amazon.com. 
And we are back with Mandy talking about her birth experience and the baby was born, just born. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it seems like when you were just sharing the story and saying that you felt that she went from your uterus to your vagina and say you were saying, she's right there, she's right there. Like whenever I hear words like that during a birth, like oh, there's the baby or, oh, she's, you know, baby's right there. Those are that's the sound everybody like that's music to my ears because i know that what you experienced that big movement that you experienced was baby rotating and extending the head oh right because oh, yeah. when something the size of a baby's head rotates and extends in your pelvis like in your crotch you mm -hmm. feel it like it's whoa right if you're not yeah. pushing against it so that's the first like Yes, when I hear that, like if you just let things happen to get to that, usually you, there's a baby within not that long of after, mm. right? Like oh, yeah. usually 15 <laughs> minutes, 20 minutes, even less. Sometimes it's a little more, but yeah, which is what you experience. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. It was all very cool. And I will say like right after she was born, I was like, I will never do this again without an epidural. <laughs> So I was so, uh, yeah. after going through it, I was like, man, never again. And the first time I got up after I had her to use the restroom and I saw the shower that I'd been in that night, I, I think I had like some PTSD, like flashbacks of the night before. But as my postpartum recovery went on, I had zero pain. I had zero issues. You know, the nurses would come in and ask what my pain was. And I would say zero. What are you talking about? I'm just sitting here. Um, Everything was so good postpartum that I would I would do it again, no epidural. Mm. Even though in the moment I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> it's intense. No, um, it is. It is. Did you tear at all? I did. I had a second degree tear and um, got sewn up. So, but really, it wasn't that bad. And I had made those like padsicles, and I didn't even end up using them. I just used like a little witch hazel, and that was all I needed. Mm -hmm. And. Um, you were saying like when you were one of the tools that I use a lot with my clients that want to have a non-medicated vaginal birth for that trick, because I find that everybody hits a wall. Everybody says, I can't do this. I need help like that to me is to be expected. And it's not failure. It's not that you can't. It's just just like a marathon runner hits a wall. It's part of it. But we get over it and keep going, which is sounds like what your your husband and your doula were doing. But. I always like to put in place the idea of using a code word just in case because and it, it, it makes it easier for everybody like for the birthing mom the birthing person it's unless you say whatever Flintstone vitamins no no everybody's gonna stay the course but if you happen to say Flintstone vitamins then you will be heard where's the anesthesiologist right um so i find that having a code word sometimes can be a really helpful tool especially for partners for husbands which because it's hard to see the person you love so much in pain and say no just keep breathing when you know they're saying but i need something right when my labor started before because the doula had gone home when it started my husband was like do you need the epidural <laughs> I was like, don't ask me that it's too early like wait until i'm like miserable and i'm begging for it and then offer it to me um so you know i'm so glad that we had the doula there because he you know it was great for 
him as well as myself. You know, she was a great support for both of us, for but especially for him. You yeah. know, to know how to to handle me. And he said, you know, to your credit, you didn't ask anymore and you didn't get mad. You just kind of accepted it that they were basically saying no in air quotes. Uh-huh. Yeah, and and clearly you did it. And I'm sure mm-hmm. when baby was moving from, you know, from 5 to being ready to come out, that was so in that short amount of time yeah that was insane intensity that you were feeling that mm-hmm. it makes sense that you were like ah please stop right, <laughs> right. get some help yeah. um my husband jason was he was glad that there were no other birthing women around my area because i got pretty loud you know and i listened to i think was it wapio i believe it had a uh, one of your podcasts where she talked about like the baby making this nice smooth transition into the world so it being dark and quiet and warm and my poor baby did not get that kind of transition <laughs> she came out to bright lights and her mother screaming bloody murder and you know sometimes that's but you need to be loud that's the right. coping mechanism that's what gets you through it and it's totally yeah. fine to be loud yeah right. no we and that's that wildness of birth Right. Mm -hmm. That we tend to be uncomfortable because we don't see people expressing in that manner usually. But that wildness is totally primal. True. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. And if I can be just really candid for a moment, I wasn't even sure if I'd wanted to share this, knowing that maybe friends and family could listen to it. But I want I just want other mothers to be prepared. After I delivered my baby and the doctor sewed me up. He put a finger in my butthole. Now, okay. So was this because were you having a lot of bleeding? I don't. So I freaked out and I was like, I yelled at him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? Um, and he didn't really give me a clear answer. I think he was like halfway out the door by the time I realized what mm-hmm. had happened and what he had done. Yeah, I was pretty disappointed with his bedside manner. Um, I, I don't know if he saw something that led him to want to check. But when a doctor came in the next day for rounds, I, I yelled at her and I was like, why did he do that? And so she explained to me that just checking the integrity of the vaginal wall and the anal wall um, said that sometimes they, they do that. I just wasn't, I didn't know that that was a thing. Nobody had told me about that thing. I think a lot of my friends had probably had epidural, so they never felt that that might've happened. But, um, and you know, I don't think everybody does it either. It depends. No, yeah. Maybe no. I think it depends also on the tear. Depends on the repair where it was. Like, if as the other doctor said, they were trying to check the integrity of that wall. If they had done, you know, it was a second degree tear, so it had only gone into muscle. It hadn't gone like. Mm-hmm. The, usually, you see it more with like a fourth degree tear, where the fourth degree tear is there is the a tear between. It, the the vagina and the anus so or, mm-hmm. or or a deeper like the tearing is not a uh, and the degrees are not related to how big the tear is it's how deep it is mm-hmm. so a first degree tear would be only tore skin a second degree tore muscle a third degree got deeper and the fourth degree got you know between the vaginal the wall. wall and and yeah mm-hmm. so i mean that makes sense depending on what the check was but at least it would be nice to get a heads up of like hey i am going right. to be doing this now or you know i was i told him i was like you know i don't mind the surprise of it because then i didn't clench up <laughs> you know i like i was relaxed <laughs> i didn't i was expecting it, it happened 
if he would have warned me, it might have been worse. So I told him, I was like, and I, you know, when I saw him at a postpartum, I was like, but you need to explain yourself after you do that, sir. Like, you need to <laughs> Good not just for head you. out the door, but yeah. Yeah. Ooh. I'm um, sorry. So yeah. Well, yeah. you know, after everything I'd been through that day, that was the least of my my worries. But also so. the least you needed. Like, come on. <laughs> true, true. Yeah. Add insult to injury. Jeez. Right. Um, so how was the, the immediate postpartum? You said you felt really good. Like placenta came out fine. You weren't yeah. too yeah, much blood yet. Everything was good. I was fine. And, you know, surprisingly had energy. I'm, I'm, I love my sleep and I will, I rarely will sacrifice any, you know, sleep for anything like sleep is a priority for me, but I did fine. I wasn't, you know, too exhausting, too exhausted. Um, we felt great. Um, Hazel was great and in good health. Um, she had no, you know, no genetic issues. She was perfectly healthy. We were very grateful. Um, she was six pounds, six ounces at birth. And uh, we had some trouble with um, breastfeeding initially in the hospital, she, but the, they didn't seem too concerned because they said, well, she still has a belly full of amniotic fluid, but you know, by day two, she'll get hungrier. And she, um, that kind of led us into our breastfeeding issues. We had some, some struggles there. We, by the time she was born at six pounds, six ounces, she went home at five pounds, 13. And then by the time her first doctor's appointment, she was 5'11". Um, the doctor then told me to take her to lactation. So we went to lactation and, you know, Adriana, I, I listened to your podcast. I did a lot of what was recommended. I had gone to a lactation support group before I had her. I had found my resources. I have a great mama tribe that they all breastfed. So I felt like I had, I know, and I knew like, okay, she could have a lip tie, a tongue tie and, you know, latch issues. And I was kind of prepared for those kinds of things. So um, I would give a piece of advice to expectant moms. If you get a breast pump, look at it before your baby is born, because they told me to start pumping when she was four days old. And it was just, I was like, oh my God, you know, here I am with this infant, the newborn, new mom, and I'm trying to learn this machine. So um, I really wish I had looked at that beforehand. Um, so and by look turn... at it, you mean like open it, read it, even put it Take on, it try it out. <laughs> All that. Take it out of the box, read the instructions, figure out the parts. It's a contraption if you're not familiar with it. Um, so I, I tried, you know, pumping and then syringe feeding whatever milk I was able to get out. Um, we went back at eight days old and she had lost more weight. She was five pounds, eight ounces. So almost have lost a full pound since her birth weight. Um, while I was at this doctor's appointment, she had a little choking spell. She started to shake and the nurse grabbed her and took her to the doctor and the doctor syringed her mouth. And then she seemed to be fine, but that was a terrifying little moment. Then they said, you know what, we want to give her formula because, you know, because of her weight and we want to give her formula while she's in the office because she just had this little choking spell. So they started to give her about an ounce then they left the room and her dad and I were feeding her and she just started to turn blue. Her hands and her feet turned blue. And we took her out to the nurse and they called 911 and she remained blue, but her lips weren't blue. They had, they measured her oxygen. Her oxygen levels were good. Um, but she was transferred to the hospital. Again, she's eight days old at this time. And we were in the hospital for 10 days. 
Um, they, this was over Memorial Day weekend. There was no lactation consultant available for the first three days we were there. Um, and they were doing tests for things like meningitis. Um, you know, they did a spinal tap. They wanted to rule out any kind of illness. And eventually all those tests came back negative. This, we ended up, it was a feeding issue. Um, and it was like, I mean, I can't tell you what those 10 days were like. It was the, such a roller coaster. It was, all right, one day we're going to try doing this. And then she's up an ounce. And then, okay, well, we're going to try to reintroduce breastfeeding again. Okay, well, now she's down an ounce. Okay, well, we're going to try fortified breast milk. All right, well, now she's down another ounce. Why is she down an ounce? We're, we're feeding her the same amount. She's taking it in. She's got dirty diapers. It was very difficult. It was, we felt like, you know, a lot of the doctors at this children's hospital aren't used to nursing moms because a lot of those babies are so sick that their moms aren't able to nurse. So they weren't used to it. Um, and they weren't, you know, they wouldn't give me any kind of, they weren't telling us what to do. We felt like all, a lot of the doctors were saying, well, you know, you're the parents, this is up to you. What do you want to try? And we were looking at them like, you're the experts. Tell us what to do to make this baby gain weight because we're, we're feeding her and she's, taking in and she's having output, but she's not gaining any weight. So what is happening? And after that initial situation where she started looking blue and and they called 911, like, and and she was shaking, did she experience that again or was it? No. Okay. Never again. And we, we, we think it might've just been, she was cold because we stripped her down to weigh her and she had, you know, she was so tiny and she didn't have a lot of, body fat on right so i think she just got cold um one thing too that i didn't know you know again i'd heard about like oh you'll just be like sitting with your baby on your breast and you'll just they'll they'll have these periods where they're just going to want to eat and eat and eat so i would leave her at my breast for long periods of time but then they various lactation consultants and doctors would tell me that you know the the longer you leave them there they're they they just end up burning more calories than they're taking in because it's so much work for them to nurse. So they were telling me to limit the time on the breast. So I got, I saw several different lactation consultants while the, while she was in the hospital. I got fitted for flange, is, is it flanges? Am I saying that right? Flanges? Yeah, flanges, right? Mm-hmm, so like flanges, a flange. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I got fitted for those, ended up being the wrong size. Um, I, we eventually got discharged. I was getting ready to just take her out of the hospital because I was like, she's not sick. There's other babies that need these resources that my my baby doesn't need. She's not sick. This is a feeding issue. I will take her to the doctor every day and get weighed feeds every day if need be until we figure this out. Um, that's when we tried the supplemental nursing system. I mean, we did everything. Um, I Once we got home, I went to one of the lactation support groups and I walked in and I just started crying. <laughs> I was like... I said, this is what we've been through the past two weeks have been insane. And the lactation consultant looked at me and she's like, you need somebody to steer your ship. You need somebody to come in and take, take control and tell you what to do. And I was like, yes, that's what I need. Do it for me, please. What do I, what should I be doing? So she, we did a weighed feed. She said, come back on another day and just bring your baby and bring all your stuff. And we'll do like three weighed feeds in that day. We'll see what's happening. So I did that. She was taking in like five mils at a time. Um, and you know, this whole time 
you know, people would suggest, certain family would suggest like, just give her formula. That way you know what she's getting. You're measuring it, you know what she gets. I, I couldn't let it go. I could not give up the idea of breastfeeding at that time. I had, I knew that it was gonna be hard. Um, I knew that there were gonna be challenges, but I just had it in my mind that I was gonna do it. Um, I had, I bought the, the, you know, I had my pump, I had the cooler, I had the, um, like for my car, for when I'm working and I could put the breast milk there to keep it. We had bought a deep freeze, like a freezer for our basement so I could quote store my stash. Um, I had the bags, the milk storage bags. I had all these things, you know, and I looked, I would look at it and think this was all for nothing and I can't, I can't give up trying it. Um, so the lactation consultants had me do, I think they called it like 20-20-20 feeding. So I put her to the breast for 20 minutes feed her formula for 20 minutes and then pump for 20 minutes and do that, you know, every couple hours. So I was doing that. There is, there are two doctors in my state that are also lactation certified. Um, so they referred me to a doctor. She came in, she did a very thorough check. She had watched me feed her. She watched me pump and she watched us bottle feed. She ordered some blood work and my, she said, you know, sometimes women just want to know an answer of like why this isn't working. And my pro, she tested my prolactin. Um, this was when my baby was about a, a month and a half old. We got the results back that my prolactin level was 30 and it should be, she said between 100 and 200. And so, okay, that's my answer. Like that, I, I could kind of sit with, I was like, so that's what's happening. You know, I, I never got engorged. I never felt let down. I never, you know, I, I just wasn't making milk. So she recommended Domperidone, which is not FDA approved. So then the second month and, of my- Right, in the, U, uh, the US, they use, they use it a lot in other countries. Right, like you can get right. it in Canada. Yeah, Canada, UK. And yeah. um, so the second month of my, my um, maternity leave became trying to get my hands on this drug. Mm. So I would, I ordered it online. It was taking forever to come. Um, you know, meanwhile, the clock is ticking down to where I'm going back to work and I can't keep pumping six to seven times a day. Uh, you know, so I, I dropped some hints on different local Facebook groups of like, you know, while I'm waiting for this medicine to arrive. Um, and then finally a mom said, Hey, I've got some, if you want it. So I went and did a drug deal, uh, you know, went and picked up this, this medicine from her. And uh. yeah, I mean, I was, I was like I did, you know, like with the breach situation, I wanted to try everything I could. And then at least I could say I tried everything I could, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so I tried that over probably three to four weeks of like increasing the dosage um, periodically. And I never made more than six ounces a day. And by that time, she was eating well more than that. Um, another thing I never knew about was or I never really heard about was um, donor milk. Um, my one of my part-time job, my, my manager emailed me and said, Hey, I've got a lot of milk if you want some. And I looked at my husband and I was like, Oh, is that kind of weird? I said, but the pros would be all these great things are in breast milk versus couldn't really think of many cons, you know? So we, we did it. And I had a couple other donors donate breast milk as well. So she ended up getting, you know, she would, and she was, Hazel is just the easiest baby in the world and very chill. She would drink whatever. She had no preferences. She would drink formula. She would drink breast milk. Didn't matter to her. So I was very lucky that, you know, her, she didn't have a preference, but um, we basically 
would do a mix of um, donor milk and formula and whatever I could do. I ended up stopping uh, pumping around four months. I, I finally was able to give it up. Um, but at least I knew that I did everything that I could. I tried my best. And, you know, it almost, I had so much support. I had the support of my husband, of my mama tribe, of lactation consultants, support groups, information. I had all the support I needed and it almost made the failure harder, you know, if that makes sense. It's like I had everything to succeed and I still couldn't. But, you know, sometimes your body just doesn't, can't make milk, you know? And I just was like, okay, that's just some, you know, that's what happened. Who knows why? Who knows if it's related to my age or medication that I'm on or whatever, but it is what it is. And I did my best and my baby has grown and has thrived and she is healthy. And that's the important part. Mm -hmm. And I can totally understand, like we are complex human beings, right? We can have different emotions. We can be totally happy and so grateful that she's thriving and at the same time mourning the experience that you wanted to have and you couldn't yeah. have like mm -hmm. we can do both things the one right. doesn't take away the other um and so i am sorry that you weren't able to experience what you wanted to experience but at the same mm -hmm. time happy that you got to a place where you got answers and it seems like you are you've gotten to a place where you're okay with those answers yes yeah yeah. Once, you know, once I made the decision to kind of stop, life got so much easier. I didn't have to lug that machine around. I wasn't tied to that machine like I was the first three months, you know, so there were, but it was just the getting ready to, to let it go was hard. And it was a grieving process, you know, we had to grieve what, what I had thought would be. So. So what did you, once you let go of that, what were some ways that you've shifted into do you know other ways that you are appreciating now that you do to bond with your baby and connect with your baby and the once once that your mind isn't completely focused on <laughs> on right. all that it takes to do uh, you know all this pumping and breastfeeding and mixing formula and mm -hmm. finding donor milk and going you know on the low down to get some dumb perinatal like <laughs> all exactly. of that yeah you know like and i never really kind of thought about it but yeah once all that is done you have more time to be with your baby and just love her and be with her and give her the attention. And, you know, my husband would, he was again, very supportive and sweet. But I remember during the, the, uh, my, my maternity leave, he was like, you're not enjoying your maternity leave because mm. you're trying to do all these other things. I said, well, I can't stop, you know, right now I'm not ready to stop. But once I was able to let it go, he, and she was always a great sleeper. Like, I don't know the meaning of sleep deprivation. I'm so grateful because she sleeps wonderfully. So we, you know, every, he would take, we would take turns. So dad would feed her one night and I could sleep the whole night through and I would feed her the next night. So, you know, and we still had those sweet, you know, feeding is still a, a bond, even if it's bottle fed or tube fed or whatever. Absolutely. You're still bond, right? Absolutely. So yeah. So, um, yeah, and it, it, it kind of frees you up to just be a little bit more present, I think. Yeah, and especially when it was becoming such a, it's so consuming and you weren't getting any, you know, any signs of, okay, I can see it getting better. I can see a light at the end of the tunnel. 
it, it was just struggle. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, there was no getting better. And, and, you know, I, I wanted to do everything I could, but also maintain my sanity, yeah. you know, and I, so I was not going to, I could have kept pumping six times a day for six ounces a day, but no, no, that wouldn't, I would have been crazy. And so it was better for my mental health to let it go. Right. And there's that. Like, yeah, you yeah. would be, and then you're more available to your daughter. Yes. Yeah. Much more. I will definitely link on the show notes, um, episodes that I have on milk sharing and mm -hmm. on insufficient milk supply because those are relevant to this conversation mm -hmm. yeah. and important for people to hear. Um, was there anything that you wanted to make sure we mentioned that we didn't get to? I don't think so. Um, you know, I, I just think knowing, knowing yourself and what you can handle, like your boundaries of what, you know, you can do while maintaining your sanity and your mental health is important. And, um, you know, like I said, like I, I wanted to try all the things and then I could let things go. So that was kind of my, I think that's going to be my approach to parenting. Try all the things. If it's not working, then let it go. But at least I tried. Mm -hmm. So, um, no, I, and I highly recommend just, uh, you know, arming yourself with knowledge. And especially if you have any fear, um, you know, learn more about the childbirth process and listen to stories and watch positive stories and ignore the scary, uh, you know, the, the things that you see on movies and TV. And the people who stop you on the street wanting to yeah, share no, their horrible story. I would shut them down. No, thank you. <laughs> I would tell them stop. Nope, nope, nope. And I would, you know, before somebody would get going, before they would even start, I would say, is it good? Because I'm <laughs> only listening to good stories right now. I actually had a friend that gave birth and it was, she said it kind of had a scary experience. And I said, tell me after I've delivered. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> I don't want to hear it right now. Exactly. Uh. Yeah. Well, Mandy, thank you so very much for sharing your story today and, and this whole journey. Like there was a lot, a lot. Yeah, was <laughs> I wasn't expecting ride. this much. <laughs> I know it was. Oh, my gosh, it's crazy. It's hard to believe it's, it was quite a year I had. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, the, having a child is identity changing for sure at all mm -hmm. levels. Um, yes. Yeah, but thank, thank you too for your work that you've done because I, I don't think I would have had the experience I had without your podcast. So I want to thank you too for everything that like the work that you do. It's been it was a tremendous help. No, I'm so glad it was helpful. Thank you. Yeah. And yeah, thank you for sharing your story. It was, it was so fun to do this today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Mighty Ones, find the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about me, the show, send me messages, and more. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. Oh, and here is what Mandy had for breakfast. I had a protein shake. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so very much for listening. This episode is copyright 2020 by Adriana Lozada. Hey, Mighty One. Did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? 
That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.